the airy mountain, down the rushing glen. We dare not go a-hunting for fear of little men. Do other races exist just beyond the boundaries of humankind? Legends of their existence persist across many cultures. So, what are these creatures? Beings of myth and magic? Guardians of nature? Or malign entities from darkest folklore? Join your guides Dan Baines and Fiona Marr in their quest for the truth. Hello and welcome to the Fairy Podcast episode 3. I'm Dan Baines and I'm joined as always by my co-host, the Queen of the Fairies herself, Fiona Marr. Hi Dan, that's a wonderful introduction, thank you. <laughs> so how are you? I'm absolutely fine, uh, a little uh, tired through organising the largest fairy festival in the UK which happens in it's just over a month's time. So it's all hands to the pumps at the moment. So we're running around like crazy here trying to get everything, all last minute things sorted out. I understand uh, you've had some uh, things going on with your event too. I have, yeah. But usually events organising kind of snowballs. You kind of go throughout the year not really doing anything. Then it all kind of comes together and there's a mass, massive rush in the last sort of build up like what your experience experiencing at the moment i've had the problem that here in the uk next year is the uh, victory in europe anniversary and the government have decided to make that weekend which is always the doomsday weekend a bank holiday for everybody um so i previously booked doomsday for that weekend which was the I believe it was the it's always the 9th 10th and 11th of may um and it was always great because it was never a bank holiday because may is full of bank holidays and it just fell perfectly and everyone could make it and you weren't going to be restricted by travel and how busy it was going to be. But, yeah, they've decided to make that weekend victory in Europe anniversary, which means I've had to move Doomsday twice within the space of three oh. weeks. So it's, it was a nightmare. That's harsh. Yeah, so it's now it's, <laughs> it's it, harsh. It is. So it's now it's the latter end of Easter, which actually makes it even closer than I anticipated. However, we've already got a full bill for doomsday 2020 which is quite good sam excellent i'm looking forward to coming as a as a client as a customer for once rather than being uh somebody giving a talk i'm really looking forward to just being able to relax and enjoy the weekend well to that's be it we're going to reverse the we're going to flip the tables over because you're going to be able to watch me give a talk this time whereas <laughs> oh, i've uh, previously great. watched you give a talk so <laughs> i'm giving a talk uh, which is well the rough title at the moment is confessions of a serial hoaxer so I'll be going over all of the things I've been involved with over the past decade, including obviously the mummified fairy, but everyone knows about that. But there are other things I've been involved with, which uh, which people will find quite amusing and quite interesting. It just goes into like, uh-huh. the, the psychology of hoaxing as well and how it differentiates that really from magic. That's really intriguing. Yeah, that's really good. But talking of hoaxes, last programme was about the Cottonwood fairies. And there's been a very interesting development there, hasn't there, Dan, regarding a certain um, Joe and uh, his daughter. Yes. Well, Joe Cooper, as we said in the last uh, in the last episode, wrote 
probably one of the best books on the Cottingley Fairies, one of the best best accounts. Now, a few days after the show was released, I got a very strange email um, from his daughter, Jane Cooper, and she completely mistook me for somebody else, um, which I kind of gathered when I read it, because um, it, it just didn't come across like somebody who knew me. And uh, anyway, to cut a long story short and not to sort of say anything negative about Jane because she's a lovely woman um, I kind of I was so intrigued by this email because she'd obviously got me mixed up with someone else that I decided to give her a call and when I gave her a call she realised I was totally the wrong person and oh, we, you know, we had such a great um, conversation about her dad um, about fairies um, about paranormal you know paranormal events that we've actually become quite good friends now and obviously she's now in contact with you as well I believe isn't she Fiona? I haven't been in contact with her yet because I've simply been far too busy with oh, organising. Okay. But I'm so looking forward to speaking with her and I'm so looking forward to meeting her. Yeah. And I'm absolutely thrilled that, you know, this this girl, his, his father was such a brilliant journalist. Um, she's actually got a copy of my book on the Cottingley Fairies. <laughs> she has. So yeah. that's wonderful. But yes, I, uh, so we're going to do a programme with her, aren't we, later on in the series? We are, yeah. Um, either next month or the, the month after that, uh, yeah. we're going to do a show dedicated to Joe Cooper and the, the tales he has to tell. And it's just one of those weird yeah. coincidences again where it would seem that everyone who in some way devotes the bulk of their life to pursuing fairy folklore somehow has a, a strange link with each other they don't might not know mm. it initially but these links tend to sort of materialize yeah it's it's very very odd it's like the way you and i met it's very very odd but you can't help feeling that somehow the fairies are involved with all this because today's program started with the strangest coincidence that happened to you it did and uh, you were looking at a house weren't you I was, yeah. It goes back to, I'm trying to think when we moved now. It's about 10 years ago. Um, and we obviously, we lived in London. Um, both me and my wife worked in London. Um, but we decided, we just had our first child and we decided that London isn't the best place to bring up children. So we started looking a little bit further out. So we decided Kent was probably the nicest place to go. Nice and green and still, you know, you can get into London very easily. So she bought home the evening standard one evening and there was a house in there. Um, which was an old oast house, which for anyone who doesn't know what an oast house is, I mean, a lot of people in the UK don't even know what oast houses are, but if you go mm. to Kent, you see them all over the place. They're sort of like a windmill with a conical top, aren't they? It is, yeah. It's like, is it, it's like a cross between a windmill and yeah. a castle. <laughs> That's yeah. the way I describe really, it. Really, yeah. With and a witch's hat on top. To, that's it, and they used to use them to dry out, um, no, hops, hops the beer, didn't they? Yeah. That's it, yeah, because um, at the time, obviously living in London, the water uh, was, you couldn't drink the water, basically, because it was just it was just full of disease. So everybody used to drink beer, including the children. Um, so all yeah. of, most of the beer that was supplied to London was actually made down in Kent, because obviously the good weather down here and the farmland, so the hops and the beer was all brewed here and then shipped into London. Um, so there was a lot of these oast houses everywhere, which are no longer used, and they've been converted into houses. And this house came up in the evening standard, and it just looked amazing. And we just wanted to go and see it straight away. It was a featured home in there. She brought the paper home. We said, yep. So we booked a, a viewing, and we went down there. And it was in February, so it was quite cold and wet. 
And when we got down there, we got down there far too early. We kind of over-anticipated how long it would take to get out of London to Kent. And it was, it was only sort of a 35-minute journey. So, so we had about an hour to kill. We looked or, you know, we Googled where the nearest coffee shop was. And it was in the next village along, which is the village of Matfield. So the house that we'd gone to see is in a place called Paddock Wood. And uh, so we went to go to this place in Matfield. So we drove along the road and you climb up this hill into Matfield. And on your right hand side, as you go up the hill, there is this huge Gothic mansion, which I just looked at it straight away. And I just fell in love with it. It was the lo- <laughs> it's it's known locally as the Scooby Doo House. So you can <laughs> you can imagine what it looks like. Yeah, it's got a massive windows and towers and overhanging parts and carvings. It's just beautiful. And I just saw that house straight away and fell in love with it, even though. Obviously, that house wasn't for sale. Um, I still loved that house, and I still do to this day. We actually ended up buying the Oast house that we went to see, and that's where I continue to live to this day. But this house always captivated me, and I've always felt drawn to it in a strange way. Now, in Matfield, there's a little pub called The Poet, and I wondered why the pub was called The Poet. And it turns out that the the Scooby-Doo house on the hill was the birthplace and home for quite a while, to the World War One poet called Siegfried Sassoon, and he wrote lots of very famous poems all about World War One and his experiences there. And the house is actually called Wheely House, and it's named after the chap who was Charles Darwin's illustrator, Harrison Weir. So he designed the house, and if you have a closer look at it, there's all neo-Gothic carvings of animals and all things he'd seen on his travels with Charles Darwin. What happened was... During World War One, um, his brother was killed uh, in the trenches, and his mother and his brother would conduct nightly seances to try and contact the spirit of his dead brother. Which, uh, as you can, I can just imagine, something like that going off yeah. in this house. In that house, yeah, that would be incredibly atmospheric. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I can imagine that. There's a there is a comment there is actually it's written down somewhere um, by a visitor to the house who was also a famous writer at the time about how he really loved the atmosphere of the house and how how great it was how everything changed at night time when all you could mm-hmm. hear was the wailing of his mother trying to contact his brother through these nightly seances <laughs> and o- over that comment uh, Siegfried Sassoon actually fell out uh, with this with this other this chap who made that comment. Right as you can yeah. imagine. But it turns out that Siegfried Sassoon, once he got married, um, as a wedding present, he was given a very special gift. And that gift was Richard Dadd's The Fairy Fellows Master Stroke, which, of course, is the subject of this show. And in a weird kind of segue as well, and another weird coincidence, Siegfried Sassoon used to actually play cricket with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Who, yes, who lived, indeed. Who lived down in Cranbrook. And he used to play cricket yeah. with someone else. Is that correct, Fiona? Yes, yes. Yeah, that was Jim Barry. Uh, Jim Barry, the uh, creator of Peter Pan. So it's quite interesting that these fairy folk, as it were, were all involved then pretty much, pretty much as we all are now in this century so that's an interesting parallel yeah but um but the dad picture we're going to put up um on the facebook page and i mean do you want to describe it or shall i have a go because it is an extraordinary image yeah uh you can 
we'll we'll both have a go at destri- describing it, I think, because there's so much going off on it. It's very yeah. Hieronymus Bosch, I think, if you, if yeah. you look at it. And yeah, and rem- and I I've I've often said it almost looks like a tapestry. Um, there's a very strange collage-like feel to it. He he painted it over nine years, Richard Dad, um, and they. I just feel that it it seems terribly disjointed as well. So whether that's a mark of the state he was in, which we will go into in a bit and how he got where he was when he painted it. But basically you've got a, a picture teeming with small figures, but they're even they're, they're, you're aware they're all tiny because the scale is given by these dark slashes across the picture that are actually leaves of grass. So you're peering through the grass at what's going on and the the fairy fellow himself is in the middle of the painting and uh, he's got his back turned to us which is probably one of the very few paintings I can't think of any any others where the main subject you can't actually see his face no it is which odd. is really curious yeah that is really odd and he has an axe raised and he's about to bring it down and crack open a nut mm. and that will then be turned into a carriage for Queen Mab so that's what he's doing. He's the fairy fella. He's, he's got Oberon and Titania watching on from a distance. Uh, there's a curious little fellow with a bald head and a white beard and pointy ears sitting. And he, he seems to be gazing really far to the left of the screen. So I'm not entirely sure what's going on there of the picture rather than the screen. Uh, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at it while I'm trying to describe it. Yeah. And the scale... The scale is all over the place. The perspective is all over the place. But it's a very pleasing image. It's very curious, but it draws you in, doesn't it? It does. It's also very small as well. It's a very, very Mm. small painting. I think it originally hung in the um, pre-Raphaelite section of the Tate Gallery. Um, I think it's actually been moved now, though, because it isn't actually a pre-Raphaelite painting. Um, but in terms of scale, the actual size of the painting is 40 centimetres by 54 centimetres. So about so the size of a dinner tray. Than, yeah, yeah. <laughs> about the size it's, of the tray about, you eat your dinner off. It's about A3, isn't it? If that really. Yeah. A bit smaller than A3. But we saw a reproduction of it, if you remember, on uh, in a show called Asylum. Yes. When uh, you and I were in London, and there it was, suddenly in front of us. And it was like, oh, look, there's yeah. Richard Dad's picture. At the Welcome Collection. So, yeah, do you want to start telling people about how Dad, and what state he was in when he painted it? Yeah. And what well, happened? First of all, I would just say how um, it ended up in the Tate Gallery as well. Because um, Siegfried soon actually donated it to the Tate gallery in 1963 so he had it for quite a long time and his interest um, in Richard Dad stemmed from the fact that he was good friends with three brothers who were the grandsons of Richard Dad's brother when he was in the trenches um, yeah. so that's how he had that connection he even had that connection yeah, then well it, with the dads yeah it was uh, one of the nephews and I heard it was a great nephew but it could well have been a nephew yeah. who actually gave the, the picture to him which is a phenomenal gift. That is just amazing. I sometimes wonder if it ever hung in Wheelie House at any point. Um, that's like one thing I always wonder to myself when I go past the place, um, which is quite yeah. often because it's on the route to my children's school. I sort of sometimes think it would be it would be a delicious thought, wouldn't it? Really? Yeah. 
because I used it, to find it yeah. really odd that I was so drawn to that house straight away without ever knowing yeah. anything about it who lived there and what could have been there and just the connections with everybody else as well including Sir Arthur Conan yeah. Doyle who would have all yeah. been in this area at that time I've, mm. got, a, I've got a map of um, the area where I live dating from 1890 and it has the house that we originally went to look at um, obviously the house we live in now which was a farm at the time called Stace Farm and then another sort of less than a mile away is Wheelie House so it was very sparsely populated at the time yeah. so Secreta yeah. soon would have played around this area maybe even visited this farm where I live now um, to quite you possible know, get eggs yeah. and milk and all the usual types of stuff that you used to do it's just um, so it almost felt like I was in a way tapping into previous events or drawn to previous events that have led me around in this strange circle that's um, incredible Secret soon also had an invested interest in mental health as well which is probably why he was so intrigued by Richard Dad because he was treated mm-hmm. for shell shock after World War One. Um, so he'd, he'd also been in that kind of environment for yeah. a while, which uh, which must have piqued his interest a little bit more into Richard Dad and obviously being the owner of you know the Fairy Fellers Master Stroke for all of those years. Yeah, um, I mean it's not. It, it sounds awful, doesn't it? But you know, people look at sort of the Hieronymus Bosch paintings and they do question the sanity of that painter. And you it, you can't imagine anyone who is completely mentally healthy being able to produce a work like this. Well, I can't anyway. Mm. Just the sheer clutter and the sheer, um, the lack of focus, really. Your eyes dart constantly from one thing to another. You can't really... You might rest on something for a while, but then your attention is drawn away to something else. So you're always, always scanning it rather than standing. It's not a picture you can stand back and take in at one glance. You've got to walk right up close to it and have a really, really good look. Um, And the perspective is very strangely flattened as well, which is really odd. This is why it's got that collage feel or the embroidery feel to it. Mm. Um, the, the objects in the foreground, they're, they're sort of, um, they're, they're nuts and they're those, um, they're kind of, they're a variety of horse chestnut, but the outside is um, a fairly even, almost like a hedgehog sort of uh, effect rather than the usual horse chestnut, which has kind of pronounced, you know, the the thing where you get the conquer out of. Yes. Yes. You know, no, they do kind look of like hedgehogs little... actually. Yeah, the two by yeah. his foot yeah. look like yeah. two little hedgehogs. Yeah. Yeah, they're not. They're actually there are not I've seen in the country, but I've no idea what they're called. Because if you look at but, the size um, of those daisies, yes, uh, which yes. are in the background, and then yeah. if you were to take a daisy and compare it to um, a chestnut, and that, yes, uh, or it would a nut be wrong. like that, yeah, yeah it's, the, it's, the yeah, size it's completely is really wrong. off. Yeah, the even even the nuts themselves, I I can't decide if they're cob nuts or what they are. They're not hazelnuts. They're strangely elongated. But the objects in the foreground, they do look rounded, and the nuts look rounded, but then particularly the daisies look like they've been ironed. They look really flat. You know, it's very, very, it's just really strange. He's he's taken great effort over um, details of dress, very much so details of dress. But then sort of it's almost as if 
the faces are alien and almost blank. There's not a lot, other than the little guy frowning furiously, there's not a lot of character in those faces. Not that I can see anyway. It's really, really odd. So should we go on to the story of actually ha- what happened to him where he ended up where he ended up when he did the painting? Yes, of course. Well, yeah. Well, Richard Dad, he was um, a young British painter who became mentally ill while he was he was touring the Mediterranean in the early 1840s. And it all kind of went a bit pear-shaped when he went to Egypt. It's almost like something from an H.P. Lovecraft story, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Sort of, you know, you yeah. go exploring and you go and find yeah. this, you know, this mysterious land out in the desert full of pyramids and strange gods. And gin, yes. Yeah, and yes. drugs and gin. And, yeah. Um, and I believe he felt he was he'd become possessed by the god Osiris. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And by gin, I did not mean the drink. I meant no, gin, gin, as, as in, in DJ. The... I N N. Yeah, or probably yeah. both. Get... Could have been both. Could have gin been is both. very trendy yeah. nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> so he he basically took a let's say a bit of a funny turn, and the chap who'd taken him out there um, basically thought he had sunstroke, and he yeah. thought sunstroke had t- turned him a little odd, and uh, they brought him him back. And uh, I believe after that he killed his father. Um, yes, in, murdered in, him in a yeah. park in in Kent as well. Yeah, um, just his near father, Gravesend. His father, yeah, his father was a chemist, and there's a tiny figure at the top who's got a, a pestle and mortar, and that's actually supposed to be a portrait of his late father. Mm. So uh, obviously he's he's repented in some way to celebrate his father like that. But um, but yes, yeah, so so from being a seemingly quite normal and incredibly talented, he was admitted to the Royal Academy when he was 20, yeah. which is a phenomenal achievement. You know, you think most artists, they have to have a really big body of work behind them now. But this talent was recognized almost immediately. And uh, then it was sort of very cruelly well snatched away or the the let's say the opportunities to exhibit as much as he might have done mm. um so then wasn't he sent to was this when he went to bedlam as they called it Bethlehem. Well, it was. i think once Bethlehem he killed his Hospital. father though yeah he went on the run didn't he and he got on a train oh to right France. yes yeah yeah uh, i think this was the yeah, nail in the coffin really passenger. yeah yes, he was actually was heading yeah he was heading to austria to kill the the uh the emperor um, but en route, he ended up attempting murder on the train, um, which got him arrested and sent back to England, where he was put, as you rightly say, in um, what is popularly known as Bedlam mm. Hospital, which is now where the Imperial War Museum stands. Yeah, and uh, at some point he was moved to Broadmoor, which is just outside London. Don't get that confused with the Liverpool Broad more which is is um again it's a hospital for uh, mentally ill people who've committed criminal acts but he was very very well treated from what i gather in broadmoor they actually say that you know he was in the hands of three very enlightened doctors and he was allowed to paint and this painting in particular it took a very long time didn't it it did um well, it was nine years and it's still not complete yeah um, i mean if you look yeah. at the painting which as you rightly said we've got on the facebook page but we're also going to put it in the show notes uh, on the on the blog and um, if you look at the painting you can see where it's not complete in places sort of towards the bottom left hand corner you can just see the bare brown sort of canvas and also 
strangely mm. enough, the fairy fella's axe is not painted. The uh, the handle is kind of a, a light brown colour, but the actual head of the axe is completely missing. It's just there's nothing there. It's just the bare canvas underneath. I wondered if he was trying to suggest it was gold glinting in sunshine. Because the shape is so do you know what I mean? The it shape could be, is yeah. so Maybe right. Golden axe. Yeah. Good, good yeah, old that arcade was, that game was from just the eighties. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't know that. Well, no, no, there no. You go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but yeah, and um, something you pointed out earlier as well. There's a very uncanny resemblance to the final Cottingley Foe picture as well. Yes. The picture is known as the sun bath. One thing we've I've, I've noticed already is his handling of text of uh, textiles is brilliant in this. Mm. And in the middle of the picture, there's something that appears to be um, almost like curtains or something hanging up and you can see in the cottony fairy picture it's called if you if you google this it's called the sun bath and it's the one that we're pretty sure was a double exposure because yeah. there appear to be little faces peering out from from behind uh, blades of grass well you've got you know there's a there's a very sort of indistinct fairy figure and then the to the left of her, there's this strange sort of cloth thing. And is is that a fairy standing in it? Yeah, the composition yeah. of that photograph, um, which we we did discuss in the last episode as being mm-hmm. the one that was Elsie and Francis did say was a genuine fairy photograph. Uh, this but... is the one that I believe Joe Cooper absolutely hung his hopes on. Yeah, He so, so wanted them to be real. And this is when I think it was Elsie. She rather cruelly just went to the papers or a magazine and announced while while Joe was shuttling up and down the country between the pair of them, mm. because by that time they were elderly ladies and they weren't really speaking to each other. I think he heard on route one time that it had gone out and that that Elsie had admitted they were all fake. And something I said before is this is in all likelihood a double exposure, but they don't see these don't seem to have been tested for double exposures whereas the uh the ones the original the first three definitely were because they went and they were tested by kodak and they said no it's a single exposure but it seems that they were so believed by then and trusted unfortunately by conan Doyle and indeed by joe cooper that you know it was never really properly looked at no. which is just absolutely tragic. But indeed, I'm wondering if it could have been of influence to whoever did the actual faking, because I'm not so sure it was the girls. I think it was probably Elsie's father, yeah. also called called um, Arthur. So I think it could well have been Arthur. But um, As we said, yes, the composition so, is, is very yeah. similar in the fact that you're looking at a snapshot almost of fairy life through through the grass and this you know if you look at the placement of figures and the things in the photograph as well there's some there is some correlation in there the fact that you've just got fairy faces peeking out through the blades of grass in the cottingly fairies photograph as well as Mm. in um the fairy fellas master stroke and what's interesting looking at them is the fairy fellas master stroke now you think looking through grass you tend to think grass is upright and you think that you'd be, you know, sort of, you'd part the grass and peer through. And it would be, if you can imagine, you've got then a V fan shape 
you know, mm. revealing, framing, as it were, what's going on. But no, they're very sparse blades in the dad picture. And the majority of them are horizontal. So you get these slashes almost across the picture, the, these these stems. And the same, you've got this same weird horizontal thing going on with the fairies here. I mean, it's only a couple of strong horizontals, but it's enough to definitely suggest there is there's a nodding acquaintance, shall we say, <laughs> between the two compositions, definitely. That's what I think anyway. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, um, so... Do you think Dad encountered something and, and that's what turned him, do you well, think, is, when he was out in Egypt? This is the interesting thing, well, because Os Osiris is, as well as being like the god of the dead, he's also the ruler of the Egyptian underworld. Mm. And you've got the strong connection with fairies and also the underworld, as we were talking about in the first ever show with the, the hill in Langothlan, which is meant to be mm. one of the entrances to the yes. underworld. You always go down you always go down into something, don't you? I you mean do. I'm thinking even Pan's Labyrinth, you have to go down to enter Fairyland. Yeah, it's the hollow hills. It's um, yeah. they they yeah. live sort of in a way it's almost like they live beneath our feet, but I don't think mm. they not in a in a physical sense. Not like they live in networks mm. of caves underground. Um, but there is always a it's, connection with fairies coming from within the earth itself yes. um, out into our world. Although, as you know, as I said, I don't think it's the fact that they just come out of caves and stuff. It's, uh, mm. it's almost like there is a way to another dimension by going into the earth. And obviously this is popularised Which popularized is Alice in, in Wonderland, yeah. yes. And it also goes back to the, um, the mystery schools, which uh, they were they were taught to all great leaders sort of way back in antiquity. And part of the test was that they were buried in earth. Um, mm. They were given um, all sorts of strange substances to make them see things. So it was almost as if people like Alexander the Great would have taken his trip to fairyland, uh, literally, whilst, you know, a child and an adolescent. And then he would have been judged fit to rule. So this this idea of these mystery schools, I think, is fantastic. But um, going back to this fairy fellow's masterstroke, so we've got somebody who's mentally ill yeah. uh, painting fairies. We don't think no, no one really knows what happened to him in Egypt. Uh, he just came back and had changed. He you know, he yeah. come back and he said he was possessed by the the spirit. I um, of Osiris. I'm sorry to be the skeptic here, but he has two siblings who are also schizophrenic right and he had another sibling so i i don't know how many in total he had but two were definitely schizophrenic and one had an attendant who was with them all the time and that was simply because um well that was never explained but this this other sibling had somebody attending them all the time so um makes you wonder really and um, it can come out, schizophrenia can come out sort of that kind of age as well. Yeah. So maybe he was especially stressed or something, you know. But, um, Whatever yeah. happened, it wasn't a relaxing trip, put it that it, way. <laughs> no, no, absolutely <laughs> it was a... not. But as, yeah, as I was going to say, it flipped us back to the last program when we talked about Arthur Conan Doyle's father. Um, and Charles Altamont Doyle, because he did all his fairy paintings whilst he too was incarcerated in what 
was then called an asylum. Yeah. And uh, he he wanted to be um, a a fairy painter like his brother, his brother Dickie Doyle. Um, fail. I wouldn't say he failed miserably, but he didn't quite have the flair that Dickie had. Uh, he became an architect, quite a talented one. He he developed. Um, he designed a fountain that's still at Holyrood Palace, and um, but he continually drew little people. Um, where, whilst he was uh, in this, I think he was put in a place called Montrose, and it was just for absolute alcoholism to begin with. But then he he made a, a very violent escape attempt, and after that he was put in a place called I think it was Sunnyside or something. It's just horrific. It's a nice to name, think. nice name Some, for a horrible yeah, place. Yeah, something that grim. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, but whilst he was in there, he he painted because again it was from an Irish family, and, and Dad is an Irish name as well. So you've got this idea of the little people. So uh, Doyle didn't paint any. Um, this Doyle Senior didn't paint any wings on his fairies. They literally were little people peeking out from under dock leaves and things like that. And yeah. whilst Dad, I'm I'm looking here and I'm looking for evidence of wings, and there are sweeping headdresses but i don't really see much in the way of wings on any of these there's there's here and there but the fairy fella has no wings no the guy with his back to us you know so it seems that i mean th there is this idea that it was the victorians who put wings on fairies and uh it, and occasionally they'd put antennae on their heads as well mm. which i think is awful but there you go <laughs> yeah but yeah but i i understand why it was probably put with the pre-raphaelites i think that's simply because it was painted during the same era yeah you know? so i'm i think that's what that's all about and, but, and i yeah. suppose in terms but of it's a, it, palettes it's similar in color um to a lot of the pre-raphaelite paintings um it's 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 not overly it's kind of, overly bright no. it's quite muted as a whole yeah it like i earthy. say it's, it's earthy it's kind of medieval isn't it Yes, it's almost like a medieval tapestry. It's very, very odd, and the more you look at it, sort of the more disconcerting I feel it gets. Um, is that is that sky in the top left-hand corner, or is it water? Are they on a weird cliff? Hmm. You know, the perspective is very, very strange. Um, but Dad actually wrote um, a, a poem to go with it, which was elimination. Hang on, I'm just looking this up. Sorry, elimination of the picture and its subject called the fairy fellas masterstroke and it stanza after stanza after stanza of i'm afraid pretty appalling poetry which is supposed to explain exactly what's going on but for the life of me i can't no. really looking at the painting and looking at the poem i can't make that many connections no Maybe although freddie mercury did get freddie mercury took something from it because um i think for their second album he actually wrote a song based on the fairy fellas masterstroke and in the actual gatefold edition of the album there is a copy of the painting in there as well yeah. so he obviously it's took something incredible, from it incredible isn't it, it yeah is. definitely absolutely so, Going back to also um, mental health and fairies, I think I discussed it on our very first show we did. But when I, um, when I was still in London and had my studio there, and did I tell you about the letter I, the strange letter I got from the NHS? Um, I, I originally got an email. No, I got a, I got an email from a doctor at the NHS 
saying that one of his patients um, yes yeah yes uh, i do remember i think yeah. it's worth recapping just because of the how how it fits in with his show but i got an, a letter um or an email from a doctor at the nhs at a high security um mental hospital saying that one of his patients wants to write to me regarding the mummified fairy that i'd made and i said yep yeah, of course go for it and uh, i forgot completely about it and you know the studio that was at there's about 140 other artists there and there was a communal mailbox and one day i decided just to go through it and i found this letter in there from a patient at um i won't reveal which um hospital it mm -hmm. was but he wrote me an email uh, sorry he wrote me this letter saying that how good that my fairies were and how how close they looked to the real thing <laughs> if you, you know how interesting how interesting yeah, and he actually wanted to buy one wow um which of course he couldn't really do uh because he was he was in this high security um hospital um so i just found that really odd that it, you know he, he wrote me a, a because he's actually seen the feature in the Times magazine because the, mm -hmm. the fairies are in the the Sunday Times magazine and he wrote me this letter to tell me how close they look to the real thing. It's strange how there's this like running theme of people, especially men, who have yeah. had some experience which eventually almost like tips them over the edge but gives them this great interest or it's almost like they are obsessed with fairies. Yes. It almost yeah. takes over their life. Well, it's Conan Doyle as well, because they said he was mad, you know. I mean, I, I think I've, I've, I've argued as to how he was led up the garden path, but to some degree, he absolutely allowed himself to be led up that garden path, you yeah. know. And there is just this... Um, uh, Arthur Macken is another one, isn't he? Who, who went out one day and came back very different. He did, yeah. Although, know? I don't think... He, he went. I don't think he went mad. I'm not sure. I've never really looked into what his mental state was. But he did mm. write a lot of very strange books that were ahead of his time. Um, mm, very in much. Almost a science fiction type of way. You know, he he did write about fairies, but he wrote about them in a completely different context to what everybody else at the time was writing about them. Um, but he did. He went out as a a young as a young man. He lived out towards the. Um, the Forest of Dean way, um, bordering Wales, and he decided one day to take a different route home, which he'd never taken before. And whatever happened to him on that journey home, he saw something or something happened to him, which then completely changed him. And the way he wrote about things then changed from that point onwards. Although he never revealed what it was he saw, it just it's just known that something happened to him on that journey, which changed his outlook forever and he just decided to write about fairies not That's entirely about fairies but you know yeah, as, as a whole yes, his, a his stories part, are yeah. i was gonna say i can't wait to talk to um sebastian bonkevich who we'll be talking to about his uh, radio 4 series pilgrim um i would love to find out his take on this because he seems such a cheerful chap you know i'd love to know what he thinks because he's his stories are absolutely fairy centered as are charles de Lint. so we'll, we'll run this past them both and say you know <laughs> we'll have to find a tactful way of saying have you yeah. had any brushes with mental illness you know but i just think i think it's something that stress brings out in you 
And I also think um, none of these people were in urban places at the time that no. these things happened. And I think that's a really important thing. It's it sort of, you know, it tends to be liminal places, you know, the place between the wood and the meadow. And it seems to be... Um, I heard, I, I don't even know where I got the info from, that Dad, he was on a boat when he had this strange conversion, you know, this strange belief that he'd been taken over by Osiris. So, um, yeah, it's kind of, uh, it, it's place, I think, is incredibly important, mm. you know. And, and also the me- experience as well. And I think the time mm. of life that they had these experiences, you'd say they had them more or less as adults, um, yeah. I sometimes think if I'd had the experience that I had as a child, as an adult, would that be enough to actually push me over the edge and turn me into a different person? You know, an experience, because I think as you get older, your brain becomes more rational and you think straighter. But like all it could take is one thing to happen to you that is so out of the ordinary and unexplainable um, that it could have the potential to be almost be like an internal switch which just flicks and you just can't flick it back again. Yeah, children accept magic though, don't they? They just absolutely yes. accept it, you know? And I think they've got that mental um, flexibility to just say, oh yeah, you know, that just happened. It's not possible, but it just happened and they're cool with it. Whereas we're freaking out going, what was that all about, you know? Yeah. Um, and it could well have been it could well have been the thing that that would have changed you tremendously um but um i still think there are people who have these things happen to them and they keep it cool and they keep it quiet um i've um in my novel the last changeling i've got examples of how different people react to encountering fairies and some do freak out and others are just like okay let's just sit with this and see what happens and let's just see how it develops. But they're the ones you never hear about. Mm. They're the ones who don't go off and do paintings or end up in asylums or, you know, they'd be, um, what would they be called now? Because asylum is terribly on PC. But as we're talking about the Victorians, that was the term they used then. I think it's just you know, mental so, or just patience. No, you couldn't. You can't even yes, call them. yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you can't. The, you it can't. changes every week, probably. I have a friend who actually works in a high security um, hospital, so I'll have to, I'll get her to confirm how you actually address a yeah. patient who is being treated for mental health. It's yeah, it's yeah. one of those strange things. But it, yeah. it is a kind of running theme, though, as well. This this old man who is either a scientist or a soldier or a, mm. a writer who eventually has an experience which pushes them over the edge to a point where they kind of devote the rest of their life to pursuing something to do with fairies. Um, I know you're not familiar with it, but my boys, they've watched the film as well. There's the Spiderwick Chronicles, where um, you know this family inherits this home, which I think it's their old great-great-uncle called Arthur Spiderwick, who discovers fairies and eventually gets abducted by them and disappears. And his um, their aunt called Lucinda actually is in an asylum and she was put in there because she claimed that her father had been abducted by fairies uh, and you know they go I think I can't remember if they go back in time they actually get access to fairyland and they, they actually find him there but he doesn't want to come back 
Mm-hmm. Um, that, the, that's a classic one as well, yes. Yeah, and the aunt, <laughs> um, and the aunt eventually, you know, they go back and confirm to the aunt that, yes, her her father had been kidnapped and he was there but he just didn't want to come back and he hadn't aged and all this type of stuff and there's also the um, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, the Guillermo del Toro film with Lord Mm. Blackwood where their family move into a house where Lord Blackwood used to live uh, whose son had been kidnapped by fairies and in return to basically get his son back the fairies wanted teeth so we removed all of his teeth and I think in the film he gets the uh, the maid and kills her and removes all of her teeth as well to give to the fairies in return for his son and i can't so long ago since i've seen it i might have to watch it again this weekend but i can't actually remember if he gets his son back it's horrific horrific tooth fairies you know that's incredible yeah the running theme of horrific tooth fairies but it has it's just this theme as well of well-educated men who go slightly bonkers after some sort of strange fairy experience well well Funnily, you should say that because I'm busy working on book two, the follow-up to The Last Changeling. And we have a, a character who's very, very much of that ilk. Okay. And uh, it's, I didn't, he just arrived in my head one day and wouldn't go away. And uh, busy as I am, I'm having to devote, you know, a few minutes each day to sketching out more things about him. Hmm. And uh, I didn't realize that I was following a grand tradition until literally just now and I've gone oh okay so you think you're treading virgin ground as a writer and you never are you know but um yes this chap will be going to a certain place well known for its fairies and um kind of you know as as an academic and somebody who's written books on folklore um but you know will he'll come back different let's just say that and leave it there it always makes me wonder as well who the guy who tried to contact who or not tried but did contact me through the NHS what his circumstances were for being where he was and how he had such conviction in the fact that the thing or the fairy that I had made was so close to the original thing I mean how is he going to know that unless he's actually seen one well well the thing I say in my book is um, in book one um, The Last Changeling is all about you know if anybody happens on a scene or stray somewhere they shouldn't and they see what's going on and they see these creatures um i have a, one character say to this this kind of innocent bystander you know we go ahead tell the world they won't believe you they'll just think you're mad you'll lose your home you'll lose your job you'll lose everything so yeah. you know knock yourself out tell the world and you'll just be a laughing stock. And if you think about it, that's what happened to Conan Doyle. He ended up a laughing stock, you know. And it's so sad. It's really sad. Yeah. Um, so indeed, yes. And of course, you couldn't have asked, you know, you could not have asked that chap's doctors why he was in there. I'm pretty sure they wouldn't have told you. It would no. have been patient confidentiality. It but it's really intriguing, isn't it? It's really interesting, you know. I think we're lucky uh, that we we live in the times we do as um, artists. Obviously, you as a writer and me as a uh, as a sort of a general sort of artist in broader terms. If we had been alive in the times of Richard Dad and all of these other people, would we have also ended, you know, had the same fate of being put away because mm, of the things we were. Yeah. talking about writing about painting etc it's only nowadays that 
but we do I, I know we kind of go on about Disney kind of screwing up the whole fairy thing for most people well yeah. not for, ev- for everybody but they've made it more popular but also I mean it's made it more of an acceptable thing to talk about them even though it is still frown not frowned upon but you kind of still well ah but I I see what you're saying but I I have to stop you there because the Victorians had a huge fascination for fairies. They were incredibly fashionable during the Victorian age. And yes, maybe they would not have been so interested in, um, you know, they, they probably would have been suspicious about the depths to which we go, go into it. But no, these, these were the times when you had um, operas like uh, Gilbert and Sullivan's Ilanthi being written. We've got fairies in the Houses of Parliament, for goodness sake. You know, there were all the, there were a, a huge number of Victorian fairy paintings. It's a genre all of its own because there were so many done. So I think, hmm, I, I think to a degree we'd have been tolerated, but I think perhaps it, our interest might have been seen as a little unhealthy, let's say. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is an odd one. I mean, I've I've never actually been to look at the Fairy Fellows Masterstroke myself. Um which I mm. I'm quite ashamed of living so close to London and the Tate the Tate Gallery is there as soon as I get off the train, you know, I can just go and see it straight away. So uh as it's the summer holiday, I might sort of educate the kids and take them into London for a day and actually go and physically look at it myself. I've heard it's a painting that mm. doesn't translate well to being turned into a poster because um, it was designed to be small uh, and looked at yes. on a, on that scale that when it's actually blown up and put as a poster or reproduced on a larger scale it just doesn't work. It has to be seen as it was or as it is in this small intricate style. Um, so mm. I'm going I'm to make make the trip I think. Well, I've even seen it on T-shirts, for goodness sake. You know, you can get this on T-shirts. Can you believe that? Um, yeah. as, a, as a panel on a T-shirt. But no, I think I'd like to go and see it in the flesh as well. I think that's definitely one of the things I'm going to do. And I'll track down a few of Dickie Dawes' pictures while I'm at it as well. So that is Richard Dad's The Fairy Fellas Masterstroke. It's quite a deep subject. There's quite a lot to talk about there and there's so much to read about. And everyone who looks at the picture, you know, The Fairy Fellas Masterstroke, sees something different and mm. interprets, interprets it completely different. I know that uh, it's one of Neil Gaiman's favourite uh, paintings and also Terry Pratchett as well. You know, they've all yes, written about it. Yes, wasn't it We Free Men? Yes, he mentioned yeah. it in We Free Men, yeah. It's been used yeah. um, for inspiration in loads of films, uh, in music, in poetry, um, even in like the penultimate issue of Alan's Moore, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. It's actually titled after that painting uh, and includes a bit from the life of Dad, actually, where yes. he's depicted as being trapped in the painting after his death. Which, oh, that's fabulous. <laughs> and I'm wondering, um, Neil Gaiman actually discusses the fact that the in in the centre of the picture, there is, uh, you know, the confused man who you talked about yeah. earlier, who's like looking, he's kind of hunched over, he's got elven ears, and he's looking at something mm. in the painting, but he's not looking at the fairy fella cracking the nut. No, he's not. Um, Neil Gaiman thinks that that is probably a self-portrait of Dad at the time he was painting it. You've got that really sort of confused... Yeah 
disturbed look in his eyes. You know, could that be him actually inside the painting, which would obviously have given it Alan could more be. Yes, grounds the to idea. include it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the only picture I see of Dad is him with quite a dark beard, but the grey is beginning to come through. And uh, certainly by the time he painted this, he could have gone all white and lost his hair. So mm. it's, it's the same sort of very high forehead kind of effect. Yeah, that's really the, interesting. One thing I was, we were talking about earlier as well, you've kind of just jogged my memory about the parting of the grass on the painting yes. itself. Now, if you're taking a photograph i'm trying to think of richard dad painting this picture and i'm thinking of him if he was left-handed could mm. he be using his right hand to part the grass to glimpse through into this scene and painting it or drawing it with his left as he holds the grass back you know do you know where i'm getting yeah. from as if you were taking yeah. a photograph you were moving something out of the way in order to capture the image but the, the picture of him um, that i've found he's actually holding brushes in both hands it looks like yeah. he's painting with his right. However, right. Um, it could be a, a photograph. You know, sometimes when photographs are produced, they actually flip, don't they? Um, yes. Um, so could he have I been left-handed? I th yeah. No, I think that possibly... Well, he's painted it first and he's added the grass afterwards. And yeah. there's only a couple of corrections that would suggest maybe the odd stem here and there was mm. added afterwards. But I think he's done what he felt was more artistically uh, right for a right-handed person, which is something that would be low in the bottom left corner, rising to the yeah. top right corner, that kind of, that, that stroke. Whereas I think if he was left-handed, that would be, you'd be moving across, it, it absolutely mitigates against it. Your, your, your arm would be sweeping across your work and smudging it as you worked. Yeah. It would go the other way. It would be the other bottom corner. Do you see what I mean? That would I be do, much yeah. easier to yeah. do. It's just, so, weird, no, I, it's just a thought yes. that came across my mind as I was looking at it because that's the way the grass is parted, as if someone has yeah. drawn it across from yeah. from left to right in order to get yes, a glimpse that, of what's I do actually see what happening. You mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, um, I, th I think he's put it on afterwards. And I thought he... I think he's thought... I'd like a lot of grass, but I've done so much work. I don't want to cover it up, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I've just noticed every time you look, you see something different. I didn't realise there's a little maidenhair fern poking its head up as well, um, just by the grasses. That thing with the sort of slightly fluffy leaves, that's a maidenhair fern. All right, okay. And that's extraordinary, yes. And they, they sort of quake and tremble, so that's quite interesting. But that should be there. But it's it's just so odd. The whole thing is so, you know, it must be very frustrating for any listeners who don't know the picture and we're going on about it. So I'm just urging you to have a look at the actual picture yourself while you're listening to us yeah. because I think it will make it a lot clearer. They'll but, put something uh, in the notes yeah. to say, you know, if you get the opportunity, yes. get the picture up or at least get look at it up. for five minutes yeah. before you listen to the show just so you get a bit of an idea of what we're talking about. I was just going to cover as well, because obviously we went over Siegfried Sassoon's place, um, Wheelie, Wheelie House, where, you know, I I don't know if the Fairy Fellas Masterstroke ever hung in that house, but I, I, I'd love to think it did at some point. Oh, wouldn't, yes. Or, oh, know, wouldn't been, that be great? My drawn to it so much because of that painting was actually there. However, luckily enough, I got the opportunity to have a look round um, the house probably about four years ago now. It actually came on the market. 
and I was oh, driving wow. back and there was a for sale sign there and I was straight on the phone to the estate <laughs> agent and I said I want to have a look at it I would have bought it however when we went there what we didn't know is the house had actually been split into two. Oh no so we went round the back where the parking is for both the main house and what is now known as Wheelie Cottage. But yeah, it's actually been divided into two now, right. unfortunately. And the part that was for sale wasn't the main part of the house, which had is rumoured to have this like huge 92 step sweeping gallery staircase that Goodness. goes up through the centre of the house. That is what I wanted to see. I just had visions of yes. the fairy fella's masterstroke hanging on the wall as you go up this like huge... That would be wonderful, yeah. yes. But I was still interested in having a look around. So we met the estate agents there. The people who owned the house were actually on holiday at the time. So we had free reign of the house. Oh, fabulous. Um, so I got, to look, I got to look at all of these um, ornate carvings that um, Wheelie, had, you know, that had been influenced by Wheelie's artwork. So all of these, you know, there was crocodiles and tigers and all sorts of stuff, uh, you know, uh, oh, through the actual wonderful. doorway. And when we went inside... It hadn't been altered at all. It had all the original Victorian, you know, the bathroom had the, you know, the Victorian tiles and all of the exposed pipework and radiators and the original sort of parquet flooring. And it was cold inside. It was, just, it, it felt old and it was cold, even though it was a really nice, hot, sunny day. These kind of buildings really sort of, it's like the, you know, where I live at the moment. And, you know, the walls are like three or four bricks thick. So even in the middle of a hot summer, it's always quite cool so inside. It's like being in a cave. Yes, I know exactly. And the windows I are quite the small. Victorian house. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And the windows are yeah. quite small. But we had a really good look around in there. And you could see where they'd actually divided the house in two. So the main hallway that oh. ran down the centre of the house, there was just a wall at the bottom where they'd actually just bricked it across. And then oh, that's, that's tragic. Yeah, so that it was divided just by the fact that they'd probably bricked up the corridor, which would have, at one point, ran through the whole centre of the home, and that would have gone into the hallway, which would have gone to this sweeping staircase. But I think in 2004, the main building of Wheelie House, the bit that I was interested in, sold, and that sold for 800000 at the time. And I think the, the Wheelie which Cottage... Which I have to say, these days, sounds like a bit of a bargain for all that. Yeah. For something that's got to be... It, grade two listed at least if not well it won't be grade one very few things are grade one yeah but for a grade two listed that's not bad at all no you i mean know? i'll put on the on the show notes as well i'll put a picture of the house it's got to be five mm. stories high as well it wow, just keeps going incredible. up and up and up because it's built on a hill on a, on a very right. steep hill so the cottage if you were to look at a side profile of the building, the actual the back of the house, the cottage, is midway up the building. Because when you get into the main part of the house, you can go down another two stories or go up wow. another two stories. So it's kind of built into the hill almost. It is built into the hill, yeah. That's very fairy-like, surely. Yeah. That's incredible. Wow. Yeah, and just the stories of these crazy seances every night with this it, distraught it puts, mother yeah, trying to contact the house, dead. And, yeah. yeah. Um, you know. It puts me in mind, we've got a road um, in Wrexham in North Wales called Fairy Road. And um, there's a house with a tumulus in the garden, you know, right, with, okay. with a, an actual mound, you know, a barrow just in the garden. <laughs> It's yeah. just incredible. Victorian house. And uh, I think that's called Fairy House or something. I'm not entirely sure. I'll get back to you on that one. Mm. But uh, very, very strange. 
you know, and just to have that in your back garden, I think it's rather wonderful. Yeah, and, I'd like uh, that. And they were this, it'd be nice, wouldn't it? And it, the stories were, that's where the fairies were in the mound. Yeah. So there you go. So there we go. That was the fairy fellas masterstroke and richard dad i know we kind of covered a lot of ground and a lot of other mm. um aspects there but it's probably given the listeners quite a lot to go on in terms of you know if they want to dig deeper down into all these other stories regarding altamont doyle and dad and don't you find though you can't really confine anything to one subject because suddenly you find well that links to this and this links to that you know and exactly, you literally as we were saying are before. you're going down the rabbit hole yourself then aren't you yeah i think anyone who's got an invested interest in fairy folklore or has had a, a strange experience or has somehow devoted what they do to fairies i through i through the arts like you with writing or me with sculpture mm. and just producing props somehow become intertwined in this strange network of roots which somehow connects us all together in a way that it doesn't with other subjects which i can't put my finger on it's almost like you're part of a weird club that you can't get out of (laughs) this is where i tell you that i met alan moore as well not too long ago so that's all pretty weird too so there you go yeah so uh yeah yeah but But it is a club uh, as we've said before that once you're in it yeah. You can't really get out of it, Absolutely. I'm afraid. Yeah, I think we were discussing <laughs> it's bit, we were discussing yeah. it on the phone the other day, weren't we? It's almost like Yeah. Like being a spy, it's the one job you can't retire from. You know? Yeah. You're always gonna be if you're a fairy investigator, you're always gonna be a fairy investigator or fairy it's like artist or face Yeah. Yes, it's like Absolutely. While, while you're there and what you're doing your job everything's going fine and dandy and everything's going perfectly for you but the moment you try and deviate from that path to try and do (laughs) something else it all goes it all goes pear-shaped absolutely as you know you know obviously around earlier on this year was doing going back and working in my familiar field of forensics and security and it all looked great and it looked like at one point I was even going to possibly come completely out of the field I was I'm working in now you know, as a as an artist and a freelancer, to go back to doing the security and the forensics thing, and for whatever reason, it just kind of just stopped. You know, dead in its tracks. Yeah. Well, and... I I'm trying to branch into steampunk events, but I'm meeting so many difficulties. Uh, you know, I, I, what I'm trying to do in the meantime, though, is up my number of fairy events simply to, to appease them and say yes. <laughs> Okay, if I do another two fairy events a year, will you let me off? You know, so so there you go. So it's almost as if my if I put my energy into trying to do something different, that energy is spent really quickly. I become fatigued and tired, and it feels like I'm just trying to swim upriver, and I'm not getting anywhere. Yeah. Yet the moment I just turn around and think, you know what, I'm going to do what I know best, and that is art and fair, you know, fairy folklore everything just goes swimmingly again. Yeah. Though if I try and swim yeah. against the tide, it goes wrong. If I just go with it and just keep whoever it is happy, it all just kind of just slots back into place again. So <laughs> it's strange. Yeah, yeah, I just can't do anything about it. We are definitely it. in thrall, aren't we? La belle dame sans merci and all that. Um, yeah. I mean, yes, there's another thing. Victorian fairy poetry, that's a poem by Keats. Uh, I urge you to go and have a look for that. La Belle Dame Sans Merci. What ails the night at arms, alone and palely loitering? Uh, and basically, this guy has had his heart completely broken by this 
vision of loveliness and this this fairy and uh, he just can't get over it and he he's never gonna have you just know he's never gonna be the same again you know that guy whoever he was when he set off before he met her he isn't there anymore. He doesn't exist anymore. Um, so, yeah, so we're all in full. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes we're, we are all in thrall to the Fae, I'm afraid. But there you go. So, wow. so I think that just about wraps it up, doesn't it, Dan? It does, yeah. I mean, we're going to get the next show out hopefully towards the end of this month. As I say, we try and do a show once a month. However, you know, we both lead quite quite manic lives that we can we can never seem to plan anything out because we we don't really have any set routine it's not like we both do a nine to five job and you know we can both sit down in an evening and uh, do Mm. it you know we live hundreds of miles away from each other and we do both do very different things and because we're both arty we're both a bit sort of we're a bit temperamental in mood (laughs) you You can catch me one day and well i'm we're both we're both gemini's though at the end of the day Mm. That's so, which it, makes yeah. us slightly schizophrenic anyway. You know, you've got... You've I like got... to say mercurial, Dan. I like right. to say mercurial. <laughs> Let's stick with that. Well, I know I've <laughs> definitely got two sides. I've got the nice side and I've got the the manic, crazy, <laughs> I don't know which way is upside. And I flip between the yeah. two on a daily basis. Um, but if we can get a day where we're both both have got it all together you know we'll get together and we do a show so hopefully we'll get another show out before the end of um, july so we'll get show four out what that show is yet we're not entirely sure it could be the jane cooper interview if we can get jane and mm-hmm. nail her down for a, a date then we'll definitely get that one out failing that cool. we're also on the verge of the fairy festival which i think will probably end up being our uh, another show dedicated to the Langothan Fairy Festival and we're going to go and actually hopefully interview people maybe get some experiences and some encounters uh, get those recorded and get those onto the show as well so that's going to be a lot of fun well not for me I'll be the one running around in the high vis (laughs) directing traffic and doing all sorts of things well no not directing traffic I'm not allowed to health and safety and all that but uh, yeah but um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun this year. We've got uh, we've got a knight who wants to slay our resident dragon. Okay. Uh, we've got fa- more fairies than you can shake a wand at. So it will be business as usual uh, at Llangollen Pavilion on the tenth and eleventh of August. So there well, you I'll go. Be there. We'll both be there. Um, so anyone yeah. who's listening to the show, if you want to come and meet us and have a chat, then you'll find us you know walking around just if you can't obviously if you're at the festival and you don't know what we look like um you can just contact us through facebook and we'll get it through as a message and yeah uh, we can well obviously fiona's going to be very busy i'm not going to be so yeah. busy so i'll gladly come and meet you and have a chat and have a drink hopefully in the and sunshine. if i get the chance of course i will but yeah. you don't ask for fiona you ask for tink because everybody tink. calls no one knows me who you tink are. <laughs> yeah Nobody knows who I am as Fiona. They will look at you blankly. Yeah. Well, a few will. Very close friends will. So, 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 so in short, we know. don't entirely know what the next show is going to be, although there will definitely be one, and it's going to be very interesting. Um, so you're just going to have to stay tuned. And also, if you're a listener to the show and you f- would like to write a review, you can go onto the iTunes page and just write a short in a review of the show if you want. Your reviews help us bump our way up the charts and get more listeners. 
and uh, you know we're getting more listeners every week and more likes on Facebook so the more we can promote the show uh, the better it's going to be for everybody uh, so if you can leave us a review and just contact us as well if you want if you want us to talk about any any experiences you've had we're always pleased to do that yes please get in touch if you've had a sighting or you know somebody who has or you've got a place near you that's named after fairies and you're intrigued by the story Thank or if you get me mixed you. up with someone else and want to write me a strange email <laughs> fire feel free to do that as well because it could lead to a a great friendship you never know a whole program yeah that that would be brilliant (laughs) okay well thanks once again for listening goodbye see you soon bye subscribe via your favorite podcast streaming service and follow us on facebook and youtube